1: it been a hot minute since you've seen us two behind the microphones and on your computer screens, on your phone screens, whatever. I'm Anthony. He's John. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We did take a little bit of a break, and that is my fault because I was being selfish and spending some extra time down in the desert, soaking in the sun and a Bengals, a much, much needed Bengals win. Much needed Bengals win. Um, and, and I got to tell you, John, um, not only was that just a hell of a fun game to attend. But, man, I mean, there were a lot of Bengals fans there. Uh, I mean, that stadium got loud when the Cardinals were taking the field and third downs and all that kind of stuff. But when the Bengals were making plays, you heard a lot of Bengals fans in that stadium. And that was pretty refreshing to see the fans not only travel, but to see the Bengals get back on track with this win, buddy.
2: Yeah, I think this was definitely a destination for a lot of people in the off season. Oh, they're going to be out in Arizona. I've heard so many great things about, and I'm sure you can speak to this because I've never been there, but, but just, just the, the whole environment around the stadium and like all the things to kind of do and like all what, what's surrounding it. it seems like a really cool place to go for as a, as a visiting fan. So I'm sure that was the plan for plenty of Bengals fans and obviously the usuals who kind of make their way across the country. But yeah, I'm glad it wasn't completely to waste because i've i mean i've i'm i'm uh, i uh i have family who are osu fans and they've not had okay. the best success going out to the fiesta bowl out there oh yeah, I mean, one, of my, yeah. one of my cousins he drove i think like 20 something hours to see osu get like shut out by clemson and then it's a long 20 hours back hopefully no one had to make that drive from cincinnati hopefully you you flew but <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm happy it was a great success now i, I want to hear want to hear about your like your, your best highs from the trip and like maybe something that was like surprising about it like going there out because because you've been there before but I'm sure it's changed over the years for sure.
1: Well last yeah last time I've been to that stadium was in twenty fifteen and that's that was that wild, wild ass game with Jamada Pico getting called at the very end and <laughs> Carson Palmer and you know, uh, and they were, you know, I think both teams were in the 30s in terms of points scored. So it was a it was a really that was a really fun game. I'll be at a loss for the Bengals. Um, I remembered really liking the stadium at that point. And while, you know, it's largely stayed the same, they did do some big new TVs and jumbotrons uh, on each side of the end zone of the stadium there. It's a really cool stadium, really cool stadium. And it was thankful. I was thankful that we were indoors because it was every bit yeah. of 95, 100 that entire weekend um, at, at, at the peak heat, which is unseasonable for them usually you know that's that's about eight 75 80 this time of year for them and really kind of uh you know mild and and that's what i was planning going into it and then you know all of a sudden you know it's 20 degrees warmer than usual but uh you know highlights for me uh, aside from the Bengals playing a much more exciting brand of football points uh, yeah yeah <laughs> points deep balls i mean just yeah I was like wow okay um you know, I, I got to go with a number of different family members, which was awesome. Um, and, you know, seeing seeing a win with family members, I saw my uncle for the first time in a couple of years who lives out there, which was cool. He came with us to the game. And then, of course, um, you know, my brother was there and, uh, you, you know, all, all kinds of cool stuff. And then I, the, I, I would say the coolest thing would be that I, I brought my two sons and it was the first time they they have been to a USC game earlier this year in person, but they had not been to a professional football game not been to a Bengals game. um, And my youngest is, you know, too young. I mean, he was kind of into it and yay touchdown, you know, he'd kind of do the thing every once in a while, but the oldest who's uh, going to be seven in February he's playing flag football and stuff. He was really, I, I was very impressed with how intently he was watching. I thought he'd be kind of all over the map and stuff. So, so watching him kind of watch the plays and, you know, seeing him and my, you know, my nephew and my brother and I all celebrate together with, with a big play. That was always, that's, that's a cool memory that we got there. So, Um, really, really cool. We did a lot of stuff aside from football over the weekend. So just a good weekend altogether.
2: For sure. Um, I mean, (laughs) I I remember being that age and, you know, I kind of just grew up like watching football at that point and, but it's, it's not always the same for everyone, but, uh, I've also never seen a Bengals game on the road. And that seems like a really, really good place. Yeah, that seems like a really good place to to kind of check it out because that stadium looks freaking massive on TV. It's, it's cool. It's not even. It's cool. It's not even like it's not like brand new or by by any means, but like it, it's 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 a spectacle for sure. So I'm, I'm glad. Well, the trip was awesome, man.
1: I appreciate that. Yeah, it was cool. If you had your choice, like what what are some top venues for you if you were to go see them on the road somewhere? I mean, is it like I don't know, top three, top five? Is there some? on the top of your mind where you're man i would love to go see them there
2: i I think if i could ever get into lambo for a Bengals game yeah yeah i don't think any of us can get into lambo at all so like i feel like that's like off two things it's it's like killing two birds of one stone getting into like the most historic nfl stadium and seeing the Bengals road game That, that would be something special for sure
1: yeah that's a good that's a good one that's a good one i mean you talk about some of the others especially with the the heightened rivalry of kansas city and you know some of those stadiums but man some of those places well i mean lambo gets cold too but uh i mean some of those places just get cold and uh anyway so let's let's talk we're, we're going to talk just a little bit i, mean, I know we've brought it's now thursday we're kind of well beyond that game here we haven't really talked too much about it. So we're going to talk a little bit about that we're going to talk about what we saw and how that can translate into this week. And then obviously some keys and other stuff about this upcoming game, a really quietly intriguing game, a a quietly tough matchup, I think for both teams. I mean, I think I know, you know, from the Seattle side, they're looking at the Bengals and what they've done the last two years. So maybe it's not so sneaky per se, but you know, when you see their record and everything, maybe it's, it's just a really good matchup that I don't think a lot of people are talking about this week, but we'll talk about all the keys there. If you are new here, welcome. We have this show on our YouTube channel, and that link is below, John, underneath that Cincy Jungle icon there. You can click that show icon to subscribe, click the bell to be notified when we go live and when new content is available. Give a thumbs up on the videos that we have been putting out. Um, it's on our specific YouTube channel. You're going to get a lot of our stuff, OBI, some stuff from Three and Out, Jason and Kevin, and then, of course, on... The rest of the audio side of things, not only are those two shows available, but talking football with Bengal Jim and friends We had a great time at his tailgate, by the way, uh, before the game, talking football, with Bengal Jim and friends, as well as coach speak and chalk talk from the coach, Matt Minnick, all available on your favorite audio streamer, go subscribe and leave a review there. So you can get all of the shows that we've got to offer there, whether it's, uh, you like all of them, you like some of them, you like one of them, whatever. We'll take it we'll take it how we can get it that's uh that's how we're rolling all right so we we alluded to a little bit i almost went with the uh the old school i say old school i really meant the movie the hangover where we are back we are back i almost went with with that clip to open the show but i didn't want to you know one game i don't i didn't want to get too too crazy with it but it did feel a lot different now I know a lot of people say, well, that's a one-win Cardinals team. They were picked to not be very good this year. We talked about it going into that. That was a sneaky, difficult team. And they made it difficult for the better part of two, two-and-a-half, three-ish quarters on the Bengals. And then, you know, the Bengals just made kind of big play after big play and, and pulled away there. But, um, you know, this, this was just what the doctor ordered. And not only getting the win <laughs> – I know some people thought, "Oh man, it's a little ugly," but there were some style points to be taken away, in a sense. Where, hey, you know, we wanted to see the deep ball; it happened. We wanted to see a more efficient offense; it happened, uh, especially through the air.
2: Yes, because this game, at least in my eyes, it wasn't very predictable at all. Because we just we until you see it, until you see the guy drop back and look comfortable and extend plays and escape the pocket and step into throws and just drive off of that back foot until you actually see it with your own eyes and have it translate to tangible production you just don't <laughs> know if he's capable of it yet and he certainly was against Arizona on the topic of the cardinals and the quality of that team we saw the quality of that team in the offense like they have been a better than expectation in terms of just offensive production and that combined with the current struggles of the bengals are dealing with on defense This ended up being a game where the Bengals pretty much needed all three touchdowns from Burrow to Chase. And they got another defensive touchdown as well from Cam Taylor Britt. So offensively, it required them to put up their best outing of the season, regardless of the quality of the Cardinals defense. Because again, that Cardinals defense would have been fine if this was the same Joe Burrow from the first four weeks. But it wasn't. It was very reminiscent to the Burrow we've been accustomed to for the past two years. And we talked about this last week. Like, I I personally wasn't ready to expect it until I saw it, and then I saw it. And that's the biggest takeaway, because, yes, it's the Cardinals, and there's a gauntlet of, like, 11 other, 12 other games left on the schedule with much tougher opponents, much tougher defenses, much tougher pass rushers, much tougher secondaries. It's going to get harder and the only way that they can manage that schedule is if Burrow looks like this. And he's going to have to play better. The offense in general is just going to have to be even more consistent than they were against Arizona because they did have some lulls. They did have some issues in the red zone here and there. It's going to have to get better. But this is the f- best first step that we could have possibly imagined.
1: You know what's funny, John, is I I think if we were to gauge uh, the the fan base and... If we were to, you know, (laughs) obviously everyone's going to say, oh man, well, obviously the 63 yard bomb to chase, that's, that's the play everyone wants to talk about. And that's, you know, rightfully so. But I think a little bit to your point about Burrow being back, I think some of the biggest where there was about three different plays that you could say that were, you know, not big gainers, but two scrambles that he actually ran the football. And one where he eluded a sack um, and danced around and, you know, made all kinds of different things happen. That was probably one of, if not the most refreshing thing. I know, again, big plays, three touchdown passes. He won the FedEx Air Player of the Week. For me, him moving around the way he did after all the talk, that's what was one of the most, if not the most refreshing thing for me out of this one.
2: Oh my God, the first sack was refreshing in in and of itself because he avoided (laughs) like three different sackers and then the fourth one finally got him because the pocket was just collapsed. But it was was almost like he forgot like how to manage the situation. He was almost surprised by his, or at least I was surprised by his mobility, but then he didn't really have a plan and kind of ran into the guy and got sacked. But yeah, all three touchdowns were promising in terms of his ability because two of them he extended, he rolled out to his right, he he escaped the pocket and then he threw on the run or at least for one of them. And then obviously the longest completion of his career by air yards. I think it was 58.1 yards officially to Jamar chase. We've seen him launch it deep to him. We haven't seen it in a while because of how defenses have been treating him. But the fact that he made that throw in this game after, you know, weeks of just terrible accuracy down the field, it was shocking. It it was, it was refreshing to say the least. So that that, that's like, it's not dangerous territory, but it's like, it's tough to gauge where he is right now because I don't think based off of the comments from him or Zach, he's fully all the way back. There's still some reservations and that's, that was really apparent with what how Zach was recalling some of those moments where he wanted it, where he wanted him to kind of throw it away or not scramble. The, the scrambles were completely Burrow's intuition to kind of do it, but he can only do that if he has the confidence to be able to do so. So it's definitely getting there. And I think him saying this is by far the closest he is to 100% since training camp like that's definitely noteworthy, but it's tough to say like where he actually is because there's more for, for him to actually show. And there's more, you know, progression that he can get into this recovery. It's obviously great news, but like if, if this is the type of burrow that we get for the rest of the season, I think this is more than what people can say that they would have expected. Like they, they probably didn't expect most people probably didn't expect him to look like this until like November, maybe even December based off the way that September was going.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, to that point, there was a uh, I, I think it was from was it yesterday or today? I, I can't remember. But basically, he's he's saying Joe Burrow is saying that he has felt the best since training camp close to 100 percent. So still not 100 percent. The hope and the expectation, I believe, at this point is after this game, after the bye week. Then we're talking about a fully healthy Joe Burrow. Now, again, as we saw some things in, that we just talked about, the three touchdowns, the big bomb to chase, uh, a high efficiency you know, this week against uh, the Cardinals defense through the air, there are signs there we go, okay, yeah, he's, he's, he's pretty close. But, you know, I mean, he says himself still not 100%, but felt the best he has felt since training camp before
2: the injury this week. Just not even just like the mobility is like what's sticking out to me, like his mechanics and his his footworks just seemed completely off. And I don't think he was really like he was kind of avoiding saying that or maybe he was just kind of maybe denying it to the media. But it was clear as day. It just wasn't as sharp. And clearly the calf was bothering him. There were just many throws in this game where he was just driving off of that foot. And that that matters to me just as much, if not more than just the ability to run up 10 yards running running 10 yards and, and gaining a first down with his legs like that's a huge part of this offense that was missing and it's definitely going to help but just being just the regular accurate burrow in a clean pocket whenever he gets a clean pocket and he got plenty of them against Arizona he finally was able to take advantage of that like that is honestly a, a bigger takeaway than I think many people have have been kind of um maybe not talking about as much this week
0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you.
3: Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make
1: Yeah. It, it, you, you hit it on the head there. Uh, and here is the article. Joe Burrow says, quote, this is by far the closest he's been to hundred percent since training camp. I'll pin that article on Cincy jungle, um, for the folks in the live chat, whether you're watching live or if you're rewatching on one of our video streams and, uh, what you want to check out that link, but, um, yeah, I mean, uh, that is a really astute observation because that's something I noticed as well. There was, he was just getting more on his throws. He was uh more accurate and it, it the mechanics thing, which is him struggling with mechanics is so unburrow like, right? I mean, that just feels like something that he has dialed in aside from, you know, dissecting what's going on on the field. Um, It's almost Peyton Manning esque a little bit, how much he, you know, had his mechanics down and to a high level and, and to see him in some of these weeks, you know, see, see him not be himself in that regard uh, was pretty obvious. And so this week it looked more and more, uh, there were, there were a couple throws we go, eh, but f- far more accurate, far more power and far better mechanics, as you mentioned this week, as opposed to others.
2: I mean, he just relies on them more than most other quarterbacks in in this tier does as well, just because like who he is physically and and, and what he can and can't do. So when that part of his of his game is on, then he can target Jamar Chase nineteen times and complete fifteen of them for 192 yards yeah. and three touchdowns. Yeah. He's gone seventeen minutes. I haven't even spoken Jamar Chase's name. What a game! What a game! Yeah. Because the Cardinals just—I mean, there's no Pat Pete in that secondary anymore. There was no chance that any Cardinals cornerback was going to be able to guard him one-on-one. I, this this is my favorite stat of this week, Anthony. The Bengals and Burrow targeted Bengals receivers 10 times in this game in man coverage. Jamar Chase was the recipient of eight of them. So whenever there was a one-on-one opportunity that Burrow was looking for, 80% of the time, it was Jamar Chase. Because, of course, right? Like, Trey Nerwin got involved a lot underneath a lot of those little short hitches against zone. Tyler Boyd had a couple of cool catches over the middle. But this was just creating opportunities for Jamar Chase in any way, shape, or form. I think a lot of people are pointing to it as the the best game plan that the Bengals have ever had with Chase, utilizing him in the slot, utilizing him in, as the number three option in those trips formations all over the field, too. Like Obviously, whenever you're going to get him on a, on a one-on-one deep when there's no safety over the top, of course, you're going to look to him, and it was a great throw by by Burrow, but it was a really good job of without T. Higgins and tr- trying to replace T. Higgins with both Trent and Irwin, and Andrei us just getting Chase involved in very creative ways and very unique ways. That it's just the it's just the building block I think of how they're going to continue to use him going forward.
1: Yeah. And shout out to Trenton Irwin. Uh, he, he had a, an outstanding game doing a lot of different, almost as, as someone pointed out in our chat here, almost had the, the big play off of the flea flicker just off of his hands there. They had another touchdown pass that was called back from Tyler Boyd. I think that ended up going for a field goal, if I remember correctly on that drive. So um, I mean, they were, and then it, the, the uh, another big catch that was called a no catch, by, by Yoshi on the sideline there, you could debate that one. So, I mean, they were just operating at a much, much higher level. And John, one of the things I noticed in person, I have, I, I, I've watched a little bit of the TV or the, you know, the all 22 stuff. You know, I just noticed a lot of, you know, and we we knew this going in, you know, single high safety, um, one deep safety back. And I think the Bengals just kind of took advantage of that because they hadn't seen a lot of that this year.
2: Yeah. The Cardinals, their secondary is i mean it's, you got the former eagles defensive coordinator gannon there is kind of running the defense and they were always kind of quarters heavy which is just four deep coverages and if you're able to take one safety away or maybe shift him off a little bit to the side you have that you have the middle of the field kind of open in that sense and the Bengals are kind of able they're kind of able to do that but yeah whenever defenses get not cocky but when they try to implement or just stay with their own scheme and you know, give that space and down the boundary. Like the Bengals are always going to take advantage of it for sure. Well, let's
1: one, one eye looking back, one eye looking forward here, and then we're going to continue to look forward and, and, you know, really look big at the Seahawks game. I think we need to have a conversation about maybe altering the expectations for this year's defensive unit for the Cincinnati Bengals, because for the last couple well 2021 was about yeah getting off the field they said they were good at, at sacking the quarterback and pressuring the quarterback for, because you know you had Larry Ogunjobi in there BJ Hill you know Hendrickson was was the new addition off the edge Hubbard had a good year last year it was more you know let's just not give up the huge plays and get off of the field they weren't great at sacking the quarterback last year it was more you know force the three and out cut the drive down you know give up a field goal and get off the field type of stuff um this year, and correct me if I'm wrong, my friend, but this year it feels like they are struggling a bit more with tackling. They are struggling against the run, but they are making far more explosive plays, far more turnovers and kind of game-changing plays, albeit giving up more points, more yards, and more big plays on that side of the ball.
2: It's it's kind of jarring at this point. Um, I, I want to run through week by week how many missed tackles the Bengals have been responsible for in week 1 it was 11 in week 2 it was 11 in week 3 it was 3 just 3 against the Rams week 4 it was 14 against the Titans yay, yay. Week, this past week it was 11 again so that's 4 out of 5 that's, games that's so if, horrible. Yeah, 4 out of 5 games ten, at least uh, 11 missed tackles it's not characteristic oh, man it's not. and it's it's like I I just wasn't expecting. I figured that this was going to be because it's not like like tackling is just such a it's such a basic concept and it's not it's not like a scheme thing. It's not like, oh, what can Bengals do different tackle better? Like, honestly, it's just it's it's angle. It's it's angles. It's effort. It's sometimes strength. It's sometimes, you know, who who the opponent is. But like, it's not like it's not a problem where you have to just like dig deep down and like like try to discover what it is. It's just it's just bad football at the end of the day. So, I mean, I don't know what the solution is other than them just doing better. You know, like, like there's no, like there's no analytical answer here. It's just, it's not a good problem to have. And it leads to now the Bengals being like a bottom five defense in terms of rushing EPA per rush and not doing that much better on a, on a play per play basis either. So it's, it's leading to a lot of big runs. It led to a lot of big plays against the Cardinals. It's one of the reasons why they had as, as many points as they did. So, it's not a problem that's like got a lot of hope of, of getting fixed unless the Bengals just decide to just tackle better, you know?
1: They are, yeah, it, that's a huge problem, and that's what's killing them in, in the run game. James Conner was having a great game before he left the, the contest there. Um, I can't remember if that was an ankle or uh, what, what knee issue, maybe it or knee. something. Yeah, um, so. You know he was he was having a, a really solid game, but there was you know miss tackle after miss tackle again. So uh, Dan the man here says at least it's a problem that's fixable. It is fixable, but we're still now you know a month and a half month and a half into the season, and it has not been fixed. It has not been fixed. But what they are doing is they are getting after the quarterback quite a bit more, um, at least more frequently than last year. They are creating pick sixes. They are creating fum- you know sack fumbles they are creating um you know all kinds of different that that play by Cam Taylor Britt and i think it was actually a throw by Dobbs the receiver kind of tipped it back to him but the pick six there that i don't want to be exaggeratory there but where that game was in the scheme of things and what this game meant for the Bengals season going forward i mean that that has to that probably will go down as one of the bigger plays of the year for the Bengals, particularly if they end up making a, a playoff run here, because that just kind of completely, and you felt it in the stadium. I mean, you just felt that thing just deflate after that play. So um, I, I just think, you know, we're, we're used to solid tackling. We're used to, you know, get, get off the field quickly and that sort of thing in this unit, whether it's age, whether it's playing too many snaps over the past few years because of elongated seasons and, maybe depth issues, that sort of thing, the losses of Jesse Bates and Vaughn Bell, who were good tacklers in, as safeties. All of these things are kind of coming to fruition, I think, and you're seeing sloppy tackling. You're seeing some issues that you're not used to seeing, but you are seeing some positives that really ne- haven't necessarily been there as much in
2: 21-22. I think more than anything, like, w- like we know – the defense, specifically the secondary, to, to pride themselves of tackling. Like the three biggest culprits and missed tackles are all in the secondary. Mike Hilton has eight on the year. Cam Tuckerbrook with six. Nick Scott with six. Nick Scott's a whole other story right now because notorious hater of rotating in uh, different members of his secondary, <laughs> Luna Rumo, <laughs> yeah. basically said, like, yeah, this rotation between Scott and Battle is going to continue. Battle play, I think, 22 snaps to Nick Scott's mm-hmm. 38 in this game. It might just be what it is going forward. It's probably going to be the case this week against the Seahawks, and they might have to have a realization or an, another evaluation in, in the bye week. If Jordan Battle can just play more confidently and just wrap up a little bit better than Nick Scott, then he probably takes his job after the bye week. But it, it, yeah, it, it's just leading to what normally ends up just being drives that the Bengals stop. It's just one extra play that kind of continues to drive, and then that's... All an offense needs, especially an offense that's that's clicking and, and it's firing with athletes. So, the the fact that this is coming in, into the back end of the defense, I think, is the most surprising. Just because that's not that's normally the area where the Bengals are a little bit better than their 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 opponents. Their cornerbacks and their safeties are typically typically sure tacklers. It's just not been the case.
1: Yeah, and then the other issue that's killing them is when an offense lines up a speedy guy out of the slot. Um, you know, they, they are, you know, it was last week it was Marquise Brown. The other week it was, uh, Aguilar getting a play out of the slot. Um, and they kind of do this, I don't know what you would call it, like a wheel or a flare route kind of, kind of thing where they the slot go feet. a little bit. toward Yeah. They, they go towards that sideline there and, you know, just drop it in the bucket and there it is. Um, and, and usually those receivers have a step or two at least on those two particular plays that I mentioned. They've had a couple of steps on on defensive backs there. So that's a frustrating play, and the Bengals will need to make an adjustment there to not not allow those plays because that that along with sloppy tackling has has been killing them on defense.
2: Yeah, th- that is entirely a coaching issue just because there's just been at least two touchdowns the Bengals have given up to slot fades. One of them was to against Chidabay Ouzier. The other one was Jalen Davis, which – Jalen Davis versus Marquise Brown is just a coaching. It's a tough error, matchup, hundred yeah. percent. There's no reason why because Jalen Davis was playing this game just because it was, it was hurt and they need they just lacked overall depth there. But that's good coaching by the Cardinals to get their best receiver on the Bengals' worst cornerback. But it's it's been the same it's been the same time. You know your cornerbacks are giving up the outside while you while you have safety help over the top. You're supposed to follow that route back inside. And it's just the same mistake being made twice by two different caliber of players. So that's definitely a fixable issue. But it's going to be something that I think the Seahawks, with guys like Jackson, Jackson Smith and Jigba and Tyler Lockett, that's something that they can identify on tape and say, maybe we can try this down the red zone, too.
1: Yeah, but adjustments need to be made. The, thankfully, the offense has done it. And, um, you know, the Bengals come away with a two touchdown win thanks to a myriad of big plays. From both sides of the ball also gave up some big plays on the defensive side of the ball special team showed up in a pretty good way this week as well like I mentioned Trenton Irwin had had a few nice returns McPherson um, getting in the mix so uh, an all-around pretty solid win uh, an imperfect one but a pretty solid win and one that the Bengals can feel pretty good about themselves as they go into this week and host the Seattle Seahawks now for those who do not you know, if you haven't seen it on our on our YouTube channel, it was not a it was not a video that went live. You know, it wasn't a live recording thing. It was kind of one of these story narrative things we did, and we called it Best Bengals Battles. And it was uh, uh, the we kind of chronicled a lot of the pl- games against the Seattle Seahawks and the Cincinnati Bengals over the years. Um, you know, there was a, a crazy w- uh, wild card round win when the Bengals went to the eighty eight Super Bowl, where the Bengals got up twenty one nothing we um, were running the ball all over the field. And then Seattle came back and, you know, it was like 21-13 and they were really trying to scrape together a win there. And it kind of got a little little more tenuous as the game went on there. But the Bengals ended up winning. And that and that one, that was where the Bengals were running the no huddle and running the ball. And then Seattle was – the idea or the theory was that they were faking injuries at that point to slow the Bengals' offense down. And then you, you can, you know, you fast forward a little bit. Uh, tw- the 2015 game was just outrageous. Um, Russell Wilson coming to Cincinnati and the Bengals were, I think, four and zero at the time, five and zero at the time, and you know it just goes back and forth. The Bengals go way down and come all the way back and beat them in overtime off a, a ricochet field goal by <laughs> Nugent, and and then you know 2019 was kind of a crazy game in Seattle. It was Zach Taylor's first game. John Ross has the game of his life. Um, you know, Andy Dalton's throwing the ball over the place and you felt like, man, this is heading in a good direction immediately, even though they lost, um, that not to be so. And so now here we are 2023, the Bengals host the Seattle Seahawks, a lot different cast of characters in, in a lot of different ways for the Seahawks, but same solid results. They just win games. They play smart football. They play physical football. A good team. Just a good team coming to Cincinnati that I don't think a lot of people are talking about.
3: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
2: No, because I think there's still a perception that it's Geno Smith, and he's a career journeyman, and he's been a backup, and last year was a fluke. He's pretty damn good, man. Like he's just a good thrower of the football, and I think he's a lot better throwing into tight windows than people give him credit for. And they're surrounding him with good receivers too, like DK Metcalf, absolute monster, right? Jackson and Jigba, first round pick. Tyler Lockett's been there since like the the middle of the Russell Wilson era, and he's yeah, he's he's really good. Um they've been getting by too without their starting left tackle and Charles Cross who I think was practicing limited this week. I want to check on to see if that was still the case for this week but offensive line issues have have been kind of a thing for them in the past couple of years. They, they, they obviously don't have beast mode anymore but Kenneth Walker looks pretty decent as well. Like and that's one of the big the two big things I'm looking for in this game because Walker is a guy that can just shrug off tacklers not in the sense of Marshawn Lynch but Pretty damn close to it. He's built pretty big, and he's got some breakaway speed to him. Wrapping him up is going to be tough. And I think the Seahawks, in general, are more um, willing to push the ball down the field than maybe they were with Russell Wilson with Geno Smith. Like it's it's crazy how much that offense looks differently with a new quarterback, and they they just haven't really handcuffed Geno Smith to do anything. And it's just been a really efficient offense, but on defense. Even if the Legion of Boom is a distant memory, it's schematically still very similar. It's still a lot of cover three. You still have cornerbacks staying on the same side of the field, maybe a deep safety. Small Adams is out of the concussion protocol, so he's going to be roaming in the box, and they have a deep safety behind him. So, um, you know, the, I think the tape of the defense kind of speaks for itself, but you're right. It's just a lot of guys who hit hard on that side of the ball for sure.
1: So I want to, I want to, give people an idea of what geno smith is because again another player he got some fanfare last year because he won comeback player of the year got him to the postseason when a lot of people thought they may be a top five pick this year because of the the roster quality or lack thereof that was perceived there i'm gonna i'm just gonna throw and i'm gonna put in basically you know you look at his first his first four years in the league and then they were all with the jets the the Last two, his third and fourth years in the league, uh, he barely got any playing time. It looks like what amounts to basically a game's worth of work, so it's hard to kind of gauge there. But in significant time with the Jets, his first two years, the highest completion percentage he had was 59.7. The highest passer rating he had was 77.5, and the highest amount of passing yards he had was 3,046. Rookie year, 12 touchdowns against 21 interceptions, second year 13 touchdowns 13 interceptions now he had you know a 64.3 percent completion percentage in his third year but i mean it's it wasn't significant amount of work at all probably like i said about a game's worth um, when you look at the yards accrued and all that kind of stuff so basically a sub 60 uh, you know high 50s percent passer 2700 yards 12 and 13 touchdown passes and an average of about 15 to 16 interceptions. That's who he was. Passer rating around 70. He has had, you know, obviously he started every game this year. So he's, they, they've played four games because um, they've had a buy. He played a handful of games in 21 when Russell was there and injured. And then of course he played all of last year. So in those games, in, in that amount of work, We're talking about 68.4, 69.8, and 68.3 completion percentage. So about a 10 or 11% increase in completion percentage. Um, And then he's got 40 touchdown passes against 13 interceptions with a passer rating averaging out at around 100, 101. So I don't know what – you know, I – I'm, ask, I'm awaiting an answer from this, from, from SB Nation's field goals uh, to get their assessment on this uh, with the 5 questions series we do. I don't know what the hell he did there, but, I mean, he has played, uh, to call it a renaissance of his career is an understatement. I mean, it's like, wow, man, it, you have completely turned around your career and become a different player in this franchise.
2: I'll say this, going to the Jets is a death sentence. We can kind of just confirm that at this point. <laughs> So I don't know if that's it, but I mean, yeah, it, it's, been, I think <laughs> it was funny hearing Zach talk about him because um, when he first came into the league, Geno Smith first came into the league was 2013. He was still like, I think a first or second year coach assisting with the Dolphins and Lunarum was on that, on mm-hmm. that team too, or it was on mm-hmm. that staff too. And they were, they were talking about, you know, scouting him as a rookie now, 10 years later more or less, like, I mean, the, the skills has have always been there, I think, and now just the opportunity and the, just the environment is just a lot better. And I, I think, again, like, the, the aspect of him just pushing the ball down the field with those guys who can stretch the field so impactfully with both Lockett and Metcalf, it, it's just, it's really unlocked just the part of his game that may have always been there, but just, you know, again, going to the Jets is just a death sentence for any quarterback at this point.
1: Yeah, I just, I... I... See the disparity in the stat lines, and I'm just like, wow. And I know there's some good, you know, quality coaching. p Carroll is one of the best in the NFL. I know there's some good talent at wide receiver and other other elements, good running game, that sort of thing with the Seahawks. um Again, maybe maybe just the media scrutiny aspect, not being in New York, also that, and and having having those expectations as a high pick, that sort of thing. Uh, maybe just you know, it's like, hey, now now the pressure's off me out, out here and I can just play. Um, expectations were low for him when Russell Wilson left, and and here he is, comeback player of the year, over 4,000, 4,200 yards last year. Um, and what was it, 30 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, just playing great, great football. So this is a guy, and with his weapons, D.K. Metcalf, the ageless wonder, Tyler Lockett, a you know, couple of good running backs. By the way, they drafted one of the guys we liked in this year's class, Zach yep. Charbonnet, so he's rotating in and out. This is is an offense that's going to provide problems for the Bengals, especially ones where, what we just talked about, tackling issues, slot, covering the slot. Uh, Those are going to be huge keys this week in order to keep this game not only manageable, but winnable.
2: I mean, they scored 37 points in week two and three against the Lions and Panthers. They scored 24 against the Giants, and that was because I mean, Gino was so dealing with an injury that took him out for I think six snaps. So they're putting up points, and like I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Charbonnet because he's averaging, I think, even he's been even more efficient than uh, Kenneth Walker, even on, on a more limited basis. But two big-bodied running backs who again are they're showing why they're kind of tough to bring down. Walker, I think, has 19. Four missed tackles in just four games and i think uh, almost like 60 or 70 percent of his yards have come after contact so he's running through guys and again like he's i think he's he has more breakaway speed than people give him credit for so the Bengals' strength of their defense is still their pass rush it's still trey hendrickson kind of putting it all on his back bj hill i think had a good game against the cardinals too so he's been more he's been improving I, i think as the season went on but i think the seahawks recognize that as a way like like that's just been how the Bengals defense has been competent this year it's just guy, it's just their pastor's teeing off on like Matthew Stafford against the Rams and a couple other times against the Cardinals it wouldn't surprise me if they kind of lean more into the run game just because we're just going to run until you can prove that we can that you can stop it and like Walker and Charbonnet keeping each other fresh it might just be might just be the strategy to go with.
1: If we're talking about an ageless wonder in Tyler Lockett, who joined the Seahawks in 2015, then we got to talk about Bobby Wagner, who took a year yeah. and went to L.A. and came back and joined the Seahawks this year. Let me tell you, uh, again, stat lines here, because this isn't a team that we, I mean, obviously we, we pay attention to all teams, but we don't pay that close of attention to this team when the Bengals face them once every four years. So you kind of take a deep dive leading to the week, the week's matchup, John, 18 total tackles in the opener against the Rams, 10 solo, 10 total tackles against the lions, five against the Panthers, 17 last week with two sacks. This guy's 33 years old and everybody said he was washed. And here he is just (laughs) playing some of the best football he has ever played. And if you remember, he was the guy, he was a big, big problem for this team in that 2015 crazy game. So, uh, you know, that's the, he's still a guy that they have to contend with on the defensive side of the ball, among many others.
2: Their their pass rush is fascinating to me because it just took the hell off. And no, 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 that's the wrong way to phrase it. It was insane against the Giants. And, of course, the Giants' offensive line is not good. But in the first three weeks of the season, Seattle, according to PFF, uh, recorded 50 pressures on the quarterback and only sacked the quarterback five times. So that's a conversion of 10%, five out of 50 pressures ended up being sacks against the giants. It was 10 sacks that have 23 pressures, 43%. It, this comes down to the Bengals offensive line. And the Cardinals showed that there's still issues with twists and stunts. And that, that's an adjustment that the Bengals have to make because the Seahawks have guys who can get after the quarterback, Derek Brown. is a really good rookie. Your guy from USC, I want to pronounce his name right, Uchenna y- 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 Noesu, N- N- I believe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We used to play for the Chargers. If you remember, a couple of years ago, the Chargers came to Cincinnati, and he had his way with Jonah Williams in that game. I think it was like seven pressures and two sacks. That's a matchup to watch for the, Char- the Seahawks edges. I think are uniquely built to give the Bengals tackles some fits, and that's going to be the the main thing I think to watch because this the Seattle secondary. While talented, has given up some big games at of receivers. Of course, Jamar Chase is coming off one of his best games ever. And now he's got some extra motivation that we might talk about later. If Burrow can have time in this game, this could end up being a shootout. But I, I think this Seahawks front seven, front four specifically, is going to give this offensive line a big challenge for them. And it's just how can they continue to build off of what they've done in the first five weeks there were some sore spots against the Cardinals that should probably shouldn't have been hap- probably shouldn't have happened in the first place. But these edges, I think, can get under both Jonah and Orlando around the edge, and they can get creative with how they get to the quarterback too.
1: That's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, when he was on our show, um, you know, I, I think he didn't outright say it, but Orlando Brown Jr. kind of said, you know, I, I know. I know my limitations, and I'm paraphrasing, of course. I know some some limitations that I do have, and what I've been able to do is teach myself and coach myself, and and take others others coaching and how to utilize my side to mask and and hopefully you know and obviously he's had an excellent career and a good start with the Bengals, but there have been moments where you know the speedy guys, the smaller guys, it reminds me of Whitworth, and remember, we we talked about this. remember Elvis Doomerville, the guy who mm-hmm. was like barely six feet tall and can, you know, run as fast as anybody. And Whitworth was like, he was pretty dang good against Terrell Suggs. He was pretty dang good against all the best pass rushers. But I just specifically remember, and I don't want to point out the negatives to Big Wit because he was amazing, uh, should probably be a Hall of Fame player. But I remember that because six 6'7", close to 6'8", and Dumerville's the small guy and they dip, right? They dip yep. around, they bend. And that's where, that, that's why I think you bring up a really good point about, and Wosu. I don't know his size, but I remember he's not the, the Michael Johnson mold. He's not the Carlos Dunlap mold, right? Um, kind of a similar guy. So uh, that's where the guys that, that can bend, that can turn corners, that can get under you, that's where... It could provide problems, like you said, especially when you have a big le- left tackle like Orlando
2: Brown. If we if this game was last week instead of now, I think this would be so much more concerning, specifically with mm-hmm. Burrow, because there was there was obviously the narrative like, oh, maybe the maybe the blitz now is just Burrow's kryptonite because he can't move. The Seahawks do blitz; their linebackers a decent amount, like Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks. Jordan Brooks, I think, is also very underrated. He was in that same draft class as Patrick queen. I think he ended up going before Patrick queen there in the late, in the late part of That's the first right. round. Yeah. He's got, he's only rushed the passer 15 times this year, but he's had six pressures and three sacks. Bobby Wagner's wow. rushed the passer 27 times. He's got five pressures and two sacks. Both those guys are just going to sugar the a gap and I'm sure they're going to twist and they're going to stunt the late blitzes. If the Seahawks decide to get aggressive here, it's going to be that classic. Okay. Is if burrows truly able to just shake off blitzers and get the ball out quickly it's a way to neutralize that. But if it's one of those off games, he could pick, it's a potential for him to get teed off on because I think this pass rush is a lot more complex than the one they just faced in Arizona. And I think the Seahawks do a great job of disguising that because that level of production for that amount of, of total rushes is very impressive for sure.
1: So, um, well, and we'll talk about the injury report before John and I get to a uh, you know some predictions and other things like that in just a couple minutes here. But you 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 alluded to it a little bit here, and there was uh, some headlines that were made with DK Metcalf proclaiming that uh, Devin Witherspoon will basically get the best of Jamar Chase was the quote. Jamar Chase had a response to that. Um, I, you know, again, you, you never know exactly how how much or little this resonates. And this is an article on Fox Sports about the headline here. DK Metcalf says cornerback Kevin uh, Devin Witherspoon will, quote, get the best of Jamar Chase. Chase is a great receiver, Metcalf told reporters on Thursday. Tip my hat off to him with what he has done. first three years in the league it'll be fun to watch sunday but i think witherspoon will get the best of him. um and then it became a a war of words so to speak he uh, chase was asked about it on thursday and i think his his quote was something to the effect of i'm gonna kill him because it's killed or be you know kill or (laughs) be killed type of thing Uh, and i don't care if you're an undrafted guy and i'm paraphrasing of course but I don't care if you're an undrafted guy, first round pick, whatever. It Doesn't matter. That's just my mentality every time out there. So, John bulletin board material, just eh, whatever. Just you know, DK talking up his his young player there, or is this is this going to be one of those things that we see a lot of different stuff happening on Sunday with that the that the cameras are going to catch?
2: I I personally think that Jamar Chase is the perfect guy to throw trash talk his way because he handles it the the best like obviously these guys are just hyper athletes and they will use anything for motivation but i think Mm -hmm. chase especially for how young he is he's still only 23 and i think people forget that he understands trash talk better than most people because he like he dishes it out a fair amount and i think something that he said was like you know like it's it's part of it's part of football it's if you don't love football then this like this just isn't really for you so he kind of handled it really well on that same note, though, like just because you kind of recognize like, oh, yeah, he was he was hyping his guy up and it's just, you know, it's all love and it's just it's just part of the game. It's still going to be like it's still that mentality that you said, like, you know, he's lining up against me. I don't really care what he said. I'm going to go out and try to destroy him regardless of how much he respects me, regardless of how much the his teammate thinks he's going to lock me down. Like, yeah, he's he said it. I, I I'm sure I have some words as well. But yeah, like I, I'm I'm gonna use his motivation, but I don't need it in order to kind of get myself in that mindset. So I think as far as receivers go, like some of them are really weird. I don't know if you've seen some of the things that these receivers <laughs> tweet. Chase is kind of mundane in the realm of receivers, but I think he handles trash talk extremely well and he dishes it out as well. So, you know, he, he kind of knows what it is.
1: Yeah, the Pat Who, right, and and yeah. you know, all the other stuff that he's he's done. But it's it's definitely not on the level of uh, of Ocho or others. Um, I mean, Antonio Brown hasn't played in the league in what two years, and I, <laughs> I still don't know what that guy tweets out. Juju's Mister like TMZ with stuff he he tweets out. I don't know. Um, so yeah, I mean, I overall I think the comments were relatively benign. Like I don't think there was a, a major disrespect there. I think it was a lot of DK talking up his his young teammate there, but. Uh, You know, you got to wonder if that's wise to continue poking the bear um, because Chase just went off last week. Uh, He he had a good game against uh, the Rams as well. So, I mean, I I don't know. I I I don't think it's the wisest decision, but I'd also I'm not sitting here going, man, that just is so disrespectful. You know, uh, it's it's hyping up your own player, I think.
2: Yeah, it, 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 at the end of the day, uh, that's all it is. But I, I always find it fascinating how how people kind of receive trash talk when it's given to them and how they react to trash talk being uh, distributed the other way where it's like, oh, it's not that personal. It's not or it's not what he meant. But when it's directed this way, it's like, oh, how coach you? This is going to be fuel. This is motivation. It's into more material. I don't know. Right. It, <laughs> so it, the, 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 the whole dichotomy is just fascinating to yeah. me. But, you know, like Jamar is Jamar. He's going to have he's going to have a good game if he gets his opportunities. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, talking about opportunities, what what are we talked some of the keys? What, what do you think this happens in this one here? You, what did you predict last week? Did you predict a Bengals loss? I, believe I predicted you did. a loss.
2: Yes. Okay. I predicted a loss okay. because again, I had no idea that that Burrow was going to take the field. I think it's safe to assume we're going to get at least that level of Burrow in terms of just ability to move, ability to throw, the success. It's going to be dependent upon how good the Seahawks defense is, and they're better than the Cardinals. They have a better pass rush. They have more talented guys in secondary. Witherspoon specifically is a dog. He is really fun to watch against the run, and it's going to be really hard for the Bengals to run his way because he can light guys up. So if Joe Mixon makes him miss at all, I'm going to be very impressed because he's really good. I think if this game was a week ago, I would be expecting a big Seahawks win to be honest with you. Like I, I just would assume that their pass rush would be too much. Burrow can't move. He can't throw whole nine yards. Seahawks offense is pretty good. I'm thinking it's a shootout this time. I'm thinking sure. we're, we're going to get both teams at least 27, 28 points each. I don't really know which way to lean though. So I'm going to just because these Ty, call pretty, a tie. I'm not calling a tie, I'm not calling a tie. <laughs> Although, it, I mean, they're two and zero against the NFC West. This is like the third NFC West game in the past four weeks. Uh, th- uh, 31-28 Seahawks. I don't know.
1: Okay. Expect, as I mentioned, and I will we'll, we'll have to get you this uh, this this thing we did here. Uh, I'll pin the the link in the live chats in case you haven't watched it. It came out a couple months ago. We had some fun with it. The best Bengals battles against the Seahawks. Uh, expect the unexpected is kind of, I know it's a super, super big cliche and, you know, whatever. If you don't like it, (laughs) I I don't care. But I mean, that's really what this rivalry has come down to. And I think part of it is because they don't see each other, not nearly as much since the Seahawks were in the AFC West. Um, So, you know, I, I just... I feel like this is a game that the Bengals should take care of based on the leaps that they did. Now, I went before before I give a prediction here, and I am in agreement with a lot of you that I think this this could be a lot of points being scored here. Uh, I want to pull up the in, the Thursday injury report, and we meant to do this a little earlier uh, because there's been some positivity and positive movement on a couple of big Bengals players here, and I will pull this up. folks here on the video so we have uh chidobe uwuzie and t higgins went limited on thursday miles murphy did not practice um but here's the injury report here man that is small i thought that was going to be a little bit bigger let me see if i can zoom (laughs) that in (laughs) good lord um that ain't getting bigger okay well uh again chidobe uwuzie wow now it got really big chidobe uwuzie Uh, Did not practice Wednesday, limited on Thursday. Akeem Davis-Gay, they're still being bothered by that knee. A little more serious than I think we've been led on. Did not practice both days so far this week. Um, uh, You look at Higgins there with the ribs injury, went limited both days. Um, And like I said, Wuzie, who tweaked his back in practice, went did not practice Wednesday, and then went limited on Thursday. So some good news on that front with Bengals potentially getting a couple of guys back, and you like to have Higgins potentially back in the fold with this offense starting to kind of crank back up potentially. It's going to take, take even more than what the Bengals gave last week. And granted, they won by 14 points. and The Cardinals are a, le- a lesser opponent. They're still scrappy, and I think they're better than their record would indicate. But it's going to take a higher level of play and i don't i don't necessarily mean it's going to take joe to throw four touchdowns at 500 yards it's going to take a little bit better effort on defense and and even a tiny bit higher of efficiency on offense you know when you have a a, a boy touchdown don't get a penalty no matter how ticky tack it may or may not have been don't get a penalty to call that back right um you got to be better running the football that was a little bit mundane I guess is a good word for it last week uh, as comparative to a couple of other weeks so you just got to be a touch better uh, at everything and again that doesn't necessarily mean joe has to go and throw five touchdowns and 500 yards and all that kind of stuff but you got to be able to throw deep he's got to be able to escape and move around the offensive line has to hold up and the defense just simply put has to tackle better and watch out with whatever's happening in that slot and and make sure they match up better i and with you, I think it's 34 31 in another wacky late. You know, m- maybe the Bengals kick the winning field goal later. The Seahawks are driving to kick to, to tie. But I do think the Bengals w- win this one. Last week gave me a lot of hope with things going the right direction. Bengals get to three and three, go into the bye, rest up even more. And then we're hopefully off to the races with a lot of tough games coming out of that bye.
2: Yeah, that's another thing to kind of look look at. I mean, I don't fully buy into like trap games and everything, and Seahawks absolutely do not deserve to be labeled as like a trap opponent, but it is the week before the bye, and you have San Francisco and Buffalo coming afterwards. And I think a lot of people are looking at this game like, okay, it's just one more stepping stone until you get to the real meat of the schedule. And I don't think that's fair to the Seahawks. I think they're definitely – they're I think one of the 10 best teams in the NFL right now – the Bengals are on the outside looking in, based off of how they how they've been. So like that's just that's just where I'm at. Like the, they started so poorly, and they have a lot of work to do to kind of get back to the level that they're they're at. So last week it was I need to see Burrow actually be who we think he's going to be down the season, and he ended up being that. Now it's turned to I need to see Joe Mixon break off some long runs on his own, and I need to see the defense tackle DK Metcalf and Kenneth Walker. Good luck, man. Good luck. It's not. It's not the best matchup for either of those two things to kind of come true. But I mean, predicting twenty-eight points to me for the Bengals' offense compared to where they were a couple weeks ago seems like a miracle. So (laughs) steps in the right direction for sure.
1: Yeah, baby steps, baby steps. That's right. Uh, Well, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, I think we're going to be back tomorrow, schedule permitting, with some listener questions live. Just uh, we haven't done that for a little while, and. We missed our aftermath show this week, so I'm trying to get you some more stuff. We'll try and do that tomorrow afternoon. But let's drop the mic and get out of here for now, John. What do you have for us this week, my friendo?
2: Um, damn, I was really unprepared for this. I don't because the, the Seahawks are just another one of those teams where the, they just don't play them very often. But you're right. Like whenever that does happen, when you were talking about the 2015 game, like that 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 game the memory of that game is so ingrained in me because I remember I was a freshman in college. I was watching the game in my dorm room and like, nobody was nobody was in the dorm or like on, on my floor. Like apparently no one was home at the time. It was like an afternoon game on a Sunday. I felt like I was the only one in my entire dorm at UC. I was watching this game. And that Tyler Eifert catch, I will never forget it. It was so impressive the way he That's just barely sliding, off one. the ground. Yeah, that, that was one of the more underrated catches I've ever seen watching football, period. But that game was wild. And yeah, this is like the first time the Seahawks have come back to Cincinnati since then. A lot has changed. It's been a long eight years.
1: Been a long eight years, a long winding eight years. And even that 2015 season was so awesome over they 8 No. And then, yep. you know, they, they hit the Texans and lost that one. And uh, I think that was when Watson was a rookie there. But uh, regardless, that was a fun year until it most definitely wasn't. Uh, that game was amazing. I, I left one out, and it is in the the Best Bengals Battles video. And it kind of gets lost in the shuffle of some of the ones in the 80s. You know, the one that I mentioned, the, the 88 wild card game, you had Steve Largent still. I think that was one of his last seasons in the NFL. Uh, in that game so it's kind of cool seeing him run around and making some plays and stuff with Dave Craig uh, in the mid 90s there's a Monday night football game and Boomer was hitting Rodney Holman and you know there was a couple then there was some uh, a game or two against Sean Alexander and Matt Hasselbeck mm-hmm. and that that group and then we get to 2011 John and that year you want to talk about a fun year 2015 was a lot of fun 2011 was a hell of a lot of fun because everybody remember the Bengals weren't going to win a game that year that was yeah. that was what what someone at the old Pro Football Talk site said about the Bengals going into that season. And I will never forget that. It was my first year with Cincy Jungle covering the Bengals, and it was uh, – that, that year was a heck of a lot of fun, man. And that game, I think that one was in Seattle, and I remember mm-hmm. it was a big, big play to A.J. Green. Touchdown pass, deep ball, dime from Andy Dalton. And Green beat Earl Thomas. And I can't remember who else he beat there. I think it was Sherman. It might've been, it might've been. Um, So yeah, that game was, it was a heck of a lot of fun too. the Bengals. I think, I think Charlie Whitehurst was the quarterback in that one. Um, (laughs) But then in that 2015 lost in that it was Eifert and, you know, Rex Burke had weird fumble and all this kind of stuff lost in all of that was AJ Green and Richard Sherman. And we highlight that in this video a little bit as well. They were going up. Sherman started following AJ after uh i can't remember the cornerback and he actually went to usc i can't remember his name offhand but he was having just problems covering aj green and so what was really neat in that game was watching aj green and richard sherman aj green would have a couple of catches sherman would knock one away right i mean it was just a a battle of two really really good football players two of the best at their respective positions at the time really um getting at it making some plays against each other and it was it was a treat to see that as it was that entire game but lost in that is, is the 2011 game a little bit that was that was a fun one too because the Bengals were were starting to get on a nice little streak there to sneak into the playoffs
2: I, I just remembered something this is a much better mic drop um when I was a kid I want to say I was like God I, I felt like I was like maybe 12 years old but I was at the airport with my parents and the airport in Cincinnati, as many people know is in Kentucky. It's in Northern Kentucky. And I, I mean, I, I knew a decent amount of NFL players at the time and I knew Sean Alexander. He was on the cover of Madden in like 2006, yeah. whatever. Sean Alexander is a native of Northern, Northern Kentucky I went to Scott high school, which mm. is right next to my aunt's house. I saw Sean Alexander in the airport. I know it for a hundred percent fact. And at the time, I was just, I was just a kid, but I was confident enough to walk up to him and ask for an autograph on, like, my dad's notebook. And Sean Alexander denied that he was Sean Alexander. And the reason why I still remember this, because it could have just been some guy who looks like Sean Alexander next to where Sean Alexander grew up. But the man had an Alabama ring on his finger, an Alabama alum ring. He went to Alabama. That was 100% Sean Alexander. And he denied a 12-year-old boy in the airport an autograph. Screw the Seahawks.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's surprising. You always kind of seem like this unassuming kind he of said nice he guy never has. played football. Oh what? Oh. Alabama ring? Really? Oh my gosh. That is. Oh, John. I'm sorry you have you were <laughs> scarred from that, my friend. Um oh man, Sean Alexander. Shame on you. That it then then he had the Madden curse. After that, right? Yeah. Uh, he, he started to kind of fall apart. He had, God, he had what was it, four or five years though in the NFL where he was just twenty touchdowns dude. in the year. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah, the, that guy was the dude. Well, hey, I don't know. Uh, hopefully, you don't. You're not losing sleep over Sean Alexander still shunning you at some point. I know. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hey, we're gonna get out of here. Uh, this has been the Orange and Black Insider Bangles Podcast, part of the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network. You can get this show on your favorite audio streamer, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major ones we are there. You can also like the Cincy Jungle Facebook page, not only to get the live stream videos of these shows when they are going live or after the fact, and then, of course, all the articles we put out there, giving you opinions, analysis, etc. And then, of course you can subscribe to the YouTube channel underneath John. There is a show icon. Click that, click the subscribe button, click the bell to be notified when we go live and when new content is available and give us a thumbs up on these videos. Go check out that Seattle one that I, that I linked in the live chats there. It's a, it's a fun one. It's a fun one. Um, not because we did it. It's just reliving those games is a lot of fun there. So check that out. And we appreciate all of the support. John, thank you, buddy. We're a, we'll, we'll try and be back maybe tomorrow to do some listener questions, schedule permitting, and then, of course, we'll kind of get starting to get back on our regular schedule, post-game, aftermath, etc. But But uh, thanks, buddy. I hope you have a good kickoff to your weekend here.
2: Yeah, about to watch some Chiefs Broncos. And, yeah, send us some questions, guys. Send us some questions.
1: Yeah, you can send them in early if you want. We'll take them. We'll take them. We promise. But, uh, yeah, take care. Enjoy some football tonight, and we'll be with you throughout the weekend. Take care.
0: data privacy to the future of TV, retail media, and beyond, the world of digital marketing is constantly in flux. So how can you keep up? Well, The Current Report is there for you. Each week, marketing leaders on the cutting edge give you the latest insight. So if it's creating a buzz, they'll be talking about it. Subscribe to The Current Report wherever you get your podcasts.